You're listening to My Mother is a Robot, a Magic Bean podcast. Episode 4 The Ballad of Doris M. Today is Mother's Day. My thumb hovers over the sun button of my cell a full minute before abandoning my third attempt to call home. No brunch plans, no mother-daughter pedicure, no laughs, not even a conversation. This is the ballad of Doris M. Some of it is simplified, but all of it is true. Doris M. was born in the wake of World War II. In the early 60s, she married an alcoholic, my father, and had children. Lots of them. Her husband's alcoholism endangered their offspring in the following ways. Falling down drunk while holding his two-year-old son, driving while intoxicated with the entire family in tow, and leaving his daughters, who were too young to stay at home alone, in the car outside the bar of the Howard Johnson Hotel while he got drunk. I'm told by my siblings these examples are just the tip of the iceberg. It was around this time that a woman named Fran called on the house of a tired, desperate Doris M. The woman told her of a future in paradise where hardship and pain would be things of the past. This would all be made possible by Jehovah. The one true God. Growing up with Christian values, it wasn't difficult for Doris M. to be saved. After all, she did need saving. The magnitude of my father's alcoholism could most accurately be described by its end. Frank, who calls himself Sam, went to a recovery center. The details of how this came about were never divulged to me, but the nightmarish tales of his stay were. It started with insomnia, then withdrawal seizures began. Eventually, his mistrust of the medical professionals assigned to monitor him grew into paranoia. Hallucinations drove him to violent outbursts and full-on delirium. For the safety of the staff, he was eventually strapped to a gurney, and then he would never drink again. Doris M. would attribute her husband's recovery not to his determination or even the dedicated doctors and nurses, but to her new God, Jehovah. I would be born a few years later and raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. My father, now sober, would remain an atheist. Here's where I'm at. If I call home, the phone is immediately given to my father. Hello? Or Doris M. will wait for him to answer it himself. While we talk, he keeps the speakerphone on, allowing her a one-way connection with me. I call this loophole affection. 
the rare occasion I intrude my family home, I'm not exactly ignored, but addressed with restrained pleasantries and simple answers. When my father is there, it's better. If there is a partner accompanying me, it's better still. But no one-on-one conversation. You see, I resigned from the religion imposed on me at birth, but because of a misguided policy based on Bible scripture about not associating with revilers, drunkards, and the like, I am to be shunned by my own mother. An ex once told me, you know, you have a very black and white outlook on life. And they were right. It's easy, growing up in the Jehovah's Witness organization, to adopt an oversimplified good versus evil mentality. There is right, what JWs are taught, and what is wrong, what the rest of the world believes. You are either with us or against us, good or bad, black or white. And now that I have established that absolutely, I'll disregard it completely with the following scenario. What happens when a shunned daughter goes home to introduce a boyfriend to her Jehovah's Witness mother? The mother knows if she refuses to speak to her daughter during the visit, it would paint a rather negative image of her religion to the outsider. But witnesses are also commanded to not bring reproach upon Jehovah's name, so by following one rule, she would essentially be breaking another. Suddenly that line is not so clear anymore, and... Welcome to the gray area. And so the story goes. Aside from her taking care not to sit at the table when I did, the visit was going remarkably well. Doris M. was smiling, social even. She had a lightness to her, as if for the first time in a long time, she was living her life unscripted. I saw a rare glimpse of who my mother could be if her every breath wasn't micromanaged by the organization's rules. Between my mother, father, partner, and a handful of other relatives, the kitchen was absolutely abuzz with conversation. I was relishing in the simplicity of this very gray area. It just seemed so easy. Then, talk turned to my classic car, a mint-condition 1987 Chevy Celebrity. As everyone in the family is a mechanic to some degree, they all promptly filed out of the house and into my parents' driveway to look under the hood. And then, it was just us, mother and daughter. Dread flashed across her face like a scared animal. Her shoulders involuntarily flinched as an evolutionary fight-or-flight reflex kicked in. You see, now that everyone had gone, things were back to black and white. And I was the enemy. This is how it happens. A woman named Fran, or the like, comes to your door. With her, she brings warmth and promises all cheery and hopeful. Then you're brought to a congregation of more Fran-like people. This is where the love bomb is detonated. Suddenly, you have a community of instant friends who want to spend time with you, invite you to their homes, and relate tales of how happy they are to be Jehovah's Witnesses. Later, the rules are introduced. 
You can't expect something for nothing, right? After some time with great repetition, the idea of a creator who has the ultimate power to allow you to live or end your life burrows deep, like a tick. Because he and only he can grant the ultimate reward, which you are told is everlasting life in a paradise on earth. It gives you something to look forward to, a goal, all the while reassured that you are good and those who reject these teachings are bad, black and white. Contact with anyone who might try to change your mind is greatly discouraged, and further, entertaining ideas and opinions that differ from those of your new organization are punishable offenses. This creates an echo chamber that blocks any information not previously screened and submitted to you by those at the top. These people are known as the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, or the Governing Body, and they alone can decipher the Word of God. So now that you know you're right for sure, it's time to start recruiting, a mandatory activity that has consequences for any who lack to participate. Knock, knock. Someone's at the door. No one intentionally sets out to join a cult. I decide not to risk the awkwardness and give up on calling home for yet another year. I've struggled as an adult to remember moments of genuine motherly affection, feeling more like I'd been raised by a list of rules than a human who had thoughts of their own. Anger often surfaces, but then downgrades to a mix of sadness and pity that wells in my throat. Imagine marrying at a time when men worked and women married and had families, when marrying the wrong man could mean disaster and desperation. This was the case for my mother. She was tied to a future of certain poverty and probable widowhood, and then someone's at the door. She bought the magic beans, and now, 40 years later, she'll do whatever it takes to keep believing they'll lead her to salvation. Thank you for listening to My Mother is a Robot. Magic Bean Podcast would like to thank Benjamin Masterpolito at benpm.github.io, satunamen.com, Tony Teofilo at Papatone Pictures, Foolboy Media, and freesound.org.